Hello, and welcome to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Extraordinary tales from around the globe and throughout history. I'm Dan Benson. Dashrath Manji was born on the 14th of January 1934 in Galore in the Indian district of Gaia into abject poverty. The village he grew up in was isolated by a 300-foot mountain range with only a very narrow and dangerous pathway for the villagers to access water, electricity and medical help, the village itself having no such resources. And Dashrath, while still very young, decided to move to the city of Danbad, a 120-mile or 193-kilometre journey that took him several days by foot. Though still only a child, he took a job in a coal mine to get by, where he worked for almost seven years, but eventually he would return to Galore. His only real options to make ends meet was to take on work as a labourer, generally working in the fields or chopping wood or some other brutal and back-breaking task that paid very little. But things weren't all bad for Dashrath. Soon he would be married to a villager named Falgany Devi, and they would have two children. By all accounts, he loved Falgany very much, and if anyone had any doubts about that, those doubts would soon be put to rest. You see, one day in 1959, while Dashrath was out chopping wood at a local farm, Falgany was crossing the mountain, bringing food and water. The water being carried in a pot resting on her head and being steadied by one of her hands, when she lost her footing and fell. Her injuries were very serious and she was unable to pull herself up again. In time she would be discovered and word would get back to Dashrath who got to her as quickly as he could. Now at this point two competing versions of the story emerge. One says that Dashrath arrived in time to see Falgany draw her last breath. The other version has her succumbing to her injuries during the treacherous 64 kilometre journey across the mountain to the nearest hospital, but in any case, she didn't make it. The heartbroken Dashrath lobbied to have a road built, but Falgany wasn't the first person to die in such a manner on that mountain, and the authorities had taken no steps to build a road previously. And so, Dashrath decided, as a tribute to his beloved Falgany, to carve a safe path through the mountain himself. The only tools at his disposal were simple hand tools, a sledgehammer, some chisels and a lump hammer. But he set about carving a path through the mountain anyway, a reaction to grief that most people thought would burn out in its own time. But Dashrath persisted. Quote, When I started hammering the hill, people called me a lunatic, but that steeled my resolve. End quote. For 22 years he hammered and chiselled away at the incredibly hard quartzite mountain, every day risking losing his footing and dying in the same manner as his late wife. But in 1982, the sound of hammering ceased. He had done it. He had carved a path through the mountain. The path he had cut reduced the distance the villagers had to travel from 55 kilometres to just 15 and would make their lives much safer in future. In all, his path was 110 metres long, 9 metres wide 
and almost eight metres deep. Quite an effort for one middle-aged man with very basic tools. The man who would become known as Mountain Man, who had been born into hopeless poverty all those years earlier, would eventually have his face on a commemorative postage stamp. Statues would be erected of him, and he would be the subject of a feature film, and of course, the path he cut was named after him. Dashrath Manji would succumb to gallbladder cancer on the 17th of August 2007, and was given a state funeral. He was 73 years old. People these days can be quite disconnected from where their food comes from. With most of us living in urban areas far, far away from farms and abattoirs, there are actually people out there who think food comes from factories. But the vast majority of us, though largely removed from the processes, still have a tenuous connection to where our food comes from. Even if it's just through old sayings such as running around like a headless chook or headless chicken if you aren't Australian. The expression basically refers to being incredibly busy in an unproductive way and comes, obviously, from the nerves continuing to keep the chicken moving after being decapitated. A common sight for our forebears and for many people who live in a self-sufficient way today. But imagine if someone went out to the chook pen, selected the evening's dinner put its head on the chopping block, swung the axe, and the now headless chicken continued to twitch and move long after the expected period. In fact, for a further 18 months. On the 10th of September 1945, Lloyd and Clara Olson, a farming couple from Colorado in the United States, were killing chickens on their farm located in the municipality of Fruta with Lloyd beheading the chickens with a hatchet and Clara plucking and cleaning them. If you've ever participated in such an activity, you might be inclined to think that poor old Clara drew the short straw. But in any case, after around 40 or 50 of them had been slaughtered, there was one whose activities weren't consistent with the others, mostly because it was performing activities at all. A quote from the Olsen's great-grandson, Troy Waters. They got down to the end and had one who was still alive, up and walking around, end quote. The Olsons placed the chicken in an old apple crate on the porch for the night, and when they awoke the next morning, it was still alive, still breathing and clumsily walking about. The chicken was a rooster who they named Mike, and not only did Mike continue to walk around, but he made attempts to preen himself. He pecked for food and although it only amounted to a horrible gurgling sound, he tried to crow. Mike could even still balance on a perch. The Olsons, whether through fascination, pity, or seeing a money-making opportunity, decided to keep Mike and devised a way to feed him with an eyedropper. Lloyd Olson would bet people beers that he was in possession of a living headless chicken, and from there word soon spread about the curious anomaly and Miracle Mike the Headless Chicken was soon quite famous. Mike would embark on a tour under the care of the Olsons that saw him travelling in sideshows around the country. People would go and see the Headless Chicken for 25 cents admission, and his popularity was such that the Olsons were making $4,500 a month from showing him. 
quite a tidy sum for 1946. At the time of this recording in 2022, it would be roughly the equivalent of $55,000. But the gravy train ground to an abrupt halt on the 17th of March 1947, when Mike choked on a kernel of corn. The Olsons were usually prepared for such an eventuality and had made up a kit with specific tools and cleaning syringes but had, quite by accident, left it behind at Mike's last sideshow appearance. So, how exactly does a chicken live for 18 months without a head, did I hear you ask? Well, the story goes that when Olsen swung the axe that day, he missed Mike's jugular vein. A blood clot formed and stopped Mike from bleeding to death, And despite most of Mike's head coming off, a chicken's brain is located in the back of its head, and enough of Mike's brain remained to control breathing, digestion, and several other bodily functions. During the height of Mike's fame, other farmers tried to create their own versions using the same method, but none were successful. The circumstances that made Miracle Mike the Headless Chicken were just too extraordinary to replicate. You've been listening to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Created, researched, and hosted by me, Dan Benson. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and continue to join me as I uncover extraordinary stories from around the globe and throughout history. Till next time, peace, love, light. Take care. Catch ya.